Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date. I'm Matthew. I'm also Matthew. I'm Matthew the third. I'm the third Matthew on the group. Uh, is there uh, anyone else in the room? Uh, and I'm Judah. Oh, okay, good. Um, Did you want to speak to me or Matthew? Uh, let's go with Judah for now. Matthew can chime in if there's anything that comes up during the mailbag, because this is a mailbag episode. I, I expect he will. I expect he'll have things to say. We have um, some mail. I like so. that. I like when we, we have should. enough stuff to talk about. We should jump in. Mailbag by Brother Date. A uh, lot of mail from Shannon this week. New listener Whoa. Shannon. Is she still a hundred episodes behind? Uh, well, she is listening to the newest ones as they come out, and then uh, backfilling. That's smart from the beginning. That's so. smart. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the only way to do it. Except you know, I don't know, doing the Star Treks out of order seems wild to me. That's how I've been watching Luna TV. So I watch the latest episode that comes I see. out. They just did episode 400, and then I go back and I try to watch the old ones. Yeah. Boy, I wish I knew what that was. <laughs> so we got mail? We got mail. Right. On uh, September 6th, Shannon writes in at Brother Date, I'm listening to new episodes as they come out and then catching up on old episodes in between. That means I notice things like how Judah recommended First Aid Kit to Matt in Episode 5, Whoa. and then Matt forgot all about it two years later in Episode 104. She is going to notice some interesting stuff. I also did not remember that. <laughs> well, she she already caught us last time with the My Brother Sam is Dead thing. <laughs> which we obviously never meant to do. It, which was clearly a joke. But... There was a 0% chance we were going to do anything relating to My Brother Sam is Dead, because I don't remember anything about it. Oh, well, good. It's good that you said that. Speaking of episode 5, she writes also on the 6th, oh, you good. talked about the thong song in some detail. Not in as much detail as we could have, for sure. No, no, no there's lots to say. Uh, so, of course, I had to ask Alexa to play it for me. Turns out British Alexa's pronunciation of thong song is ridiculous. Oh, I didn't know there was a British Alexa. That seems like it's maybe not necessary. Well, you know, trying to bring people the comfort of a personal slave into their own home, and you want your personal slave to sound like you sound. So if you're marketing it in the UK, maybe you got some different... Do you suppose they have different ones? Is there a Scottish one? Is there a Welsh is, one? Is there like a South African Alexa? Sounds like a New Zealand Alexa with a learning disability. <laughs> is that... Something like that. I mean, I just wonder, or if only... It just sounds villainous, right? <laughs> did only the UK, did only England get like get one, and none of the other English-speaking countries got got another special one? I don't know. I do wonder. Windows has all those different voices, like uh, Indian English, and it's got male and female for all of them, and about half of them sound like uh, robots that got dunked in a bucket of water, and <laughs> right. the other half sound pretty good. And it's like there's no consistency. They don't. They probably do not put the same amount of effort into each of them for racism reasons. 
I mean, it, but it's like, why does the Australian man sound so bad, but the Australian woman sounds pretty credible? It's a good question. Because uh, she thought she should. Because she thought she should. the answer. Uh, <laughs> I, Why'd um, you do that then? Just a oh, quick I check in. I should. I impressed Katie for only the second time in our entire marriage. Uh, a few weeks ago now, we had gone out to... Uh, I forget if we'd gone to dinner or we'd gone to a movie. And we were coming back and... Uh, somehow the music in Community came up. Mm-hmm. And I've, of course, I mentioned my favorite song in Community. Uh, Britt is marrying Jeffrey Winger. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Abed hired an Irish singer. <laughs> and Abed hired an Irish singer. Anyway, uh, I sang it in the car, and uh, she grabbed my arm and said, That was really good. No. She said, Not that. only, she said, You sang it good, and it sounded right. It sounded like the right accent. And I said that I can only mimic things that I've heard. Like, I can't construct a new sentence in an accent. Right. And that's why the only thing I can say in an Australian accent is, <laughs> This is the Dizzit Dith Edda. That's right. Yep. And then she pointed out that I could also say, because I thought I should. Because I thought I should. Um, I am sort of the same way. Sometimes I try to construct sentences in like Australian English, and I try to remember that the E sounds like an I, and I try to make it work, and it just doesn't. No. It doesn't work out the right way. But um, good, good episode of Community. Anyway, so it's that and the time I caught a t-shirt out of the air at the San Francisco Bulls game. Well, at least you've done it twice. Yeah. Congrats. I think I'm still working on zero. Okay. As far as I can remember. All right, well, maybe Marjan hangs around with a more impressive set than Katie does. Well, that's bad for me. It's bad news. Well, look. Sometimes I just say to her male coworkers, stop being impressive. We like what we like. Just cut it out. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, on September 9th, Shannon writes, in episode 8, you try to remember if Vermont is the one that's bigger on the top. I don't remember who tried to remember that. Sounds like me. It is. I remember this because it's shaped like a V. That's a pretty good mnemonic device. V. Vermont is shaped like a filled-in a v. v. A funny filled-in and, V. Um, and I thought about that while I was taking out the trash uh, 20 minutes ago, and it occurred to me that New Hampshire is kind of the shape of a backwards lowercase h. So, like, yeah. you know, in Old Hampshire, they do h the right way. But right. here in New Hampshire, we do it lowercase and backwards. That's right. Because it's a new hotness. I think I remembered that that was the order just because I, I remembered that New Hampshire was the one that was closest to next, Boston. Next to Maine. It was, it was the, yeah. big, the big one on the bottom. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big on the bottom. Um, This sort of applies uh, to some other states. Okay. Uh, California's uh, shaped like a C that was drawn by somebody maybe dying and trying to write it with their own blood. Right. Yeah. Like uh, the C in um, Corey did it. Right. It was definitely Corey. It was just if you can make it out. I guess you could probably just write Corey and that would be enough to put suspicion on Corey. You probably don't need to write that did it in your own blood. Well, I did see that episode of Busted starring Lee Kwang Soo and uh, Yu Jae Suk and... Someone did write Kwang Su on the bed in blood. So. I was sure you were going to say uh, Boy Meets World. <laughs> no, was that one. I mean, there was that one where they killed some Angela. People. Was there an Angela in that show? Yeah, I think you're right. There was an Angela. He killed her because he wanted um, 
Ryder Strong all to himself. Don't remember his name. Mm, Sean. Sean. It's Sean. Uh, and uh, if you believe a C for California, you'll have to accept a J for New Jersey. Those well, two states are are backwards. It's, it is, yeah, it is. It's sort of J ish. If the, if it's not like a cool top hat J with a cool brim. No, no, it's a low. It's like a lowercase J mm-hmm. or maybe a cursive J. Yeah, there you go. I could see that. And um, I'm sure there are more. Um, like Idaho looks like if someone started to write Idaho and wrote the I real big and then realized they were going to be out of space on the poster and had to write the rest of the letters real small. Yeah, it doesn't work that well. There aren't a lot of good ones. People yeah, should have thought about this when they were making these states. They should have planned it out a little bit better. Uh, your home state of Tennessee mm-hmm. is it's long short and, skinny. and very wide, like the word Tennessee. Yeah, like if you were going to write the word Tennessee in it, it would be pretty easy. Especially if you wrote it in all caps, because uh, they're all like, that's a pretty square idea at that point. The S is kind of ruin it, but otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thanks, Shannon. You've uh, taught me a new Dewey Decimal System for remembering the states. That's right, just like Dewey's brother. Taught us that great one. Uh, on the 10th, she writes, at brother date, uh, my brother Sam is dead, oh. hyphen. American Revolution, colon, right. father equals loyalist. Okay. Older son, parenthesis, Sam, joins Patriots. Sure. Father kidnapped by rebels, semicolon, dies on prison ship. Ouch. Younger brother, comma, Tim, feels torn between sides. One of three. Oh, boy. It continues, right. some men try to steal family's cows. Sam tries to stop them, but he is arrested instead. Tim and mother plead with commanding officer, but he wants to set example. Sam executed for stealing his own family's cows. Oh, Tim boy. watches. First shot only maims, second shot needed. Oh, boy. Epilogue. It's 50 years later, and Tim, who has had a good life, wonders if independence was worth the sacrifice. Whoa. 8th grade Shannon learns that some books deserve to be thrown at a wall. (laughs) What was the book you drop-kicked because it wasn't literature? Uh, Probably Breakfast of Champions. Would be my guess. I thought it might have been a Kurt Vonnegut. It was Vonnegut. It was for sure Vonnegut. And a book that I threw, breaking its spine, was Atlas Shrugged. (laughs) There <laughs> you go. So we've all we've all been there. You know, she could have just said see Wikipedia and then I would have gone and I would have looked at the description of the of the uh, book. she could have, but I kind of like the idea of a new recurring segment. Shannon does a book report. <laughs> That's right, in three tw- in three tweets. Three, three tweet book report. <laughs> could be good. Uh well she used a whole tweet on the epilogue. Well, the epilogue was the part that infuriated her, where after so. all that shit the guy's like, <laughs> America, what was it worth? Was it all worth it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Shannon, next week let's have um, uh, what's another book from middle school? Blossom River Drive. Let's have uh, <laughs> uh, Indian in the cupboard. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. That one that seems might like... even be elementary school, frankly, because <laughs> that one seems like he was a little younger. I think. I'm yeah, not sure so anyone what? is maimed in that one, but maybe. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, early enough she can uh, read it to her daughter. Okay. Uh, let's see. A couple of retweets. Uh, you tweeted something. Yeah, I'm on it. You tweeted at Brother Date on the 15th, uh, a tweet that says, this deserves all of the Emmys, and then it is a link to a deleted tweet. What was it, Matt? It was the video of the North Texas, uh, guy, um, taking the punt, 
pretending... Not calling for a fair catch. Yeah, not calling for the fair catch, but pretending that we all knew he called for the fair catch. And just Acting kinda, as though he had signaled for a fair catch. Just kind of standing there with the ball for a second as everyone starts to wander off the field, and then sprinting down the sideline with many of his blockers for a, uh, a touchdown against Arkansas, who is supposed to be a much better program, but got absolutely dismantled in that game by North Texas. Uh, your take on this was that this was a pretty cool trick play. Uh, yeah, I think that was exactly the perfect time to do it. Up 7 nothing at Arkansas, again, a school that you're supposed to lose to. That's when you That's when you go for it. You go, yeah, you know I mean, what, let's put them way behind That's here. when Fitz Hill would have called for a trick play. It just would have gone much worse. <laughs> Fitz Hill, uh, his problem wasn't calling for the trick play at all. No. It was just the execution on the field. No, he knew the right time to call for it. It just... His team was not capable of it. Uh, My take on it was that it seemed very dangerous, and I have heard that the NCAA is considering an emergency rule change to make that illegal. In case uh, people just start laying laying people out because they aren't sure whether or not they called for the fair catch. Yeah, because it's like a 15-yard penalty if you destroy that guy versus a touchdown if he's doing a fakie and you missed it. Yes. So, like, it, it seems like if there's any ambiguity... Go for the head is the move, right? This is sort of the problem. This is exactly what I think about every time a quarterback runs to the sideline and then instead of going out of bounds, tries to run up the sideline for an extra five yards. Yep. And then I go, oh boy, this is going to lead to a lot of destroyed quarterbacks when people go, well, I don't know if he's going to go out of bounds. I better, yep. I better wreck him. <laughs> and, uh, oh yeah, when they don't slide for it, it's yeah. like, no, 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 no. So, yes, it is that kind of thing where it's like, are you uh, endangering everybody with this trick play? But, uh, you know, they can only do what's allowed within the rules. It's If the NCAA wants to make it illegal, they can go ahead and do that. But uh, I thought it was badass. Kind of takes your chances if you're a little old North Texas. You, um, you also retweeted uh, a tweet from Star Trek Online. Oh, nice. But they were, they had taken a screenshot of another tweet, I guess. <laughs> Maybe not a tweet. Hard to say. I was going to say, if they screenshot another tweet, I don't think they're doing Twitter, right? They took a screenshot of something okay. from someone called uh, Riker Wears a Scant, which never happened. <laughs> not that I saw. He wore feathers when he met with those one people and furs yeah. when he met with the other ones. And yeah, he was willing to show his entire nipple right. on Angel One itself. Don't remember him ever being in a scant. Well. Unless... Are they counting dress uniforms? Their early dress uniforms are a little scanty. I was going to say. The post says, guys, 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 I just realized a thing. Worf and Jadzia get married in. You are cordially invited. This is a big spoiler. Yeah, spoiler alert to everybody following the DS9 part of our project. I already said it, though. But earlier in the episode, Cisco chews Dex out for being childish when she's 356 years old. Okay. You are cordially invited takes place in early 2374. Oh boy. The Dax symbiont is therefore born in 2018. It's wild. It is wild. Um, I think there's a fence post error here. Uh-oh. If it takes place in early 2374, it's more likely than not that she was actually born in 2017. 20. Yeah. And the 2374 is the year she will turn 357. She was either born in 2017 or early 2018. Correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. Either way, recently the Dax symbiote. Either way, came she's a Trump baby. Pretty right? recently, isn't that what we're gonna call? Where we know that she's a Trump baby. Oh God, is that what we're gonna call him? <laughs> is that what we're calling everyone who was born in this era? They're all Trump babies. Yeah, <laughs> we just call them little cubs. Uh, Eleven hours ago, I oh. kind of don't want to talk about Trump right now. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Let's go. 
11 hours ago, uh, Shannon wrote, uh, at Brother Date, question slash comment from uh, Bari, that is her husband. Okay. In your Star Trek comparisons, Mm. are you making the score, marking the scores out of some ideal perfect notion of, say, characterization or world building? Or are you comparing it to an example of this from within the franchise? No. One of two. I feel like you're doing the first. Yes. But it would be better to compare these things to the best that Star Trek has to offer. Then you do it! He recommends finding the best example of each criterion from the Star Trek universe and using that as the basis for your scores. Yeah, okay. But the, without um, going the trouble in... with that is we don't know yet. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, what the to... best of the best is. I, this is. We have never really watched them with a critical eye before because why would you do that? Why would you torture Frankly, yourself like that? E- even shows that we've seen a bunch of times. Like uh, TNG. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've seen TOS uh, all the way through a, a few times. Yeah. Uh I'm definitely seeing new things and getting new insights. So, like, if I picked... Boy, what's the best... uh, Well, we already know what I think the best world building is. It's where no one has gone before. (laughs) Right, because of the... Because it explains that thoughts are real and magic is real. Yeah. Uh, Although, I do... I keep keep coming back to the idea from Encounter at Farpoint that Q can be hurt by a phaser. (laughs) <laughs> and he keeps proving that he is afraid of some of the things yes. in our mortal yeah. realm. Um, Like, if I said that the best characterization was... I don't know. What do you like as the top characterization in this uh, show? Well, I think so far for me... Hold on, let me just pull up fucking Landrew. All right, I'm just going to look since this is coming up here. Sorry, everyone, it's not supposed to be a Star Trek, but... Um, boy. Uh, I gave the Naked Now an 8, and that can't be right. Well, I think the thought is that they reveal so much about their true selves. I I gave it a 9, by the way, so So we're we're clearly on the same page there. Um, I I gave Balance of Terror a 10. Oh, yeah, Balance of Terror is uh, a hot little episode. Yeah. So, uh, so is the idea of where I'd be comparing all the episodes to what I thought of the characterization in Balance of Terror, except that it's so specific. <laughs> but then what do you do when you find out that, oh, let's uh, swing forward 50 weeks, that it's actually, uh, the characterization work in the best of both worlds is, is better. Yeah. Best of both worlds part one, let's say. Yes, this is something you could only benchmark it if you'd already gone through the whole project. Is right. what we're saying, but even more than that, it's very. Some of these things are very specific. The way that but, I'm judging Kirk and Spock and McCoy in things that are happening in their crazy little episodes about some scientist on a planet are going to be so dissimilar to some of the other things that I'm that I'm comparing to. It would be kind of an asinine comparison. But but here's the thing: you get the you get the second thing for free when the project is finished. That's right. Because you know what the best one is, like but not only that, years and then you have, all be there. you have the full statistics, so you can determine standard deviations, and you can find which episodes are the real outliers. Like, you know, if you and I together scored an episode uh, 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 14 or above in characterization, it turns out that that's really above the, you know, the, the yeah. mass, right? Those, those are really the breakaway episodes. Sure. And you'll get that for free when all of the all of the scores are in, and you can just do statistics on the whole set. Again, you only have to wait however many years it takes us to complete this, and then yeah, all the answers time. will be revealed. But I mean, you, that's how I I'm mean, treating it. 
Yeah, sure. But like, what what would you know? Oh, we haven't found another episode yet that's as good as Balance of Terror. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't feel like that's satisfying. So I'm fairly happy with the way we're doing it. I'm not happy that we're I doing wish it. we had not done it. Yeah. I <laughs> wish we had not started it. I think we're in agreement. We're not happy with the project at all, having to do it, but the way we're doing it seems fine. Given that, that we are a an entire... We're not quite a quarter of the way through. We're coming up on a quarter of the way through. We'll be there. Shortly. Maybe we're over a quarter of the way through if you count the fact that uh, TOS and Enterprise are going to exit early. Yes, then I think we are. Um, yeah. But yeah, we we didn't avoid the Star Trek talk this week, but we can leave it there for now. Sure. Well, I'm glad that there was uh, some other mail in there. I knew I had sent in a couple, but... Yeah, nothing from Ryan. Nothing from Ryan. He, he might be mad that I don't believe him about the sex hot tub. Oh, boy. He feels like we personally offended him. It was a personal insult. Well, I mean, you know him pretty well. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, you no. know him pretty well. <laughs> oh, no, there's some bad news. I was on the wrong tab. There's more mail. Oh, okay. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Uh, on September 6th, Ryan wrote, At Brother Date, there will not be any sex in the hot tub. Right, okay. And then on the 7th, he uh, gloried in the fact that Shannon was more behind than he ever was. <laughs> well, it's true. When he was behind, we did not have that many episodes out. On the 14th, boy, uh, the Twitter algorithm really shit on Ryan and pushed all of Shannon's tweets right to the top. On the 14th, Ryan wrote in, uh, Wicked Game is really amazing. Yeah, right? I mean, it is. I'm glad we've all agreed on this. This, is, You know, it doesn't happen very often. That even that you and I agree, but then if yes. you and I and the mailing audience agrees, then I think we've done a pretty good job. And, and I'm going to say we did a good job and not Chris Isaac did a good job. We did a pretty good job here. I think so. I'm pretty happy with the job that we did. Yeah. Uh, and then to round it out, on the 14th, he wrote, uh, at Brother Date, in defense of Milpitas, it doesn't smell as bad on 680. <laughs> That's true. So, <laughs> what this tweet, it's true, by the way, yes. what this, te- what this tweet uh, tacitly recognizes is that Milpitas needs defending. It's not great. I mean, we, you already talked about it. Anytime we'd be up going toward Oakland or whatever. That's you when just, you mash that button. You just feel like, oh, boy. That's when you mash that button from Garavik's quarters. You e- hit the Garavik button. Either way, you'd be like, so either you'd recognize it, that it was coming up soon. You'd you'd see a, a landmark and you'd go, oh, I know where we are. We'd better, you know, like on 880, we'd better, um, we'd better fucking, we'll get the windows up, for like, right quick. Or you would recognize it too late and then you were just fucked. Because then once it's in the car, what are you going to do? Like, what yeah, are you running circulating from? doesn't help. You just got to set it out. What are you running from? The diseases inside of you at that point. So, um, so yeah. Fuck Milpitas. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> In conclusion. The official, the official brother date stance on the city of Milpitas. <laughs> How about a t-shirt that says brother date, colon, fuck Milpitas? New yeah, model. I mean, the colon, the colon makes sense there, I guess. <laughs> That's well, right. the thing about that you is you were upset that, about the grammar bomb that I made. Well, grammar. I think uh, it's an interesting question because a colon is how you would use it, as if that was the subtitle, right? Yeah. But fuck Milpitas is a complete sentence. Oh. So grammatically, I think it requires a semicolon. Shannon, feel free to write in uh, an actual English major. Shannon, please if, write in and tell us if we make any grammar bombs today. If uh, 
if that doesn't hold for uh, imperative sentences or exclamations. I'm, I can't wait for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't wait to find that out. <laughs> You're super pumped about uh, calling grammar mistakes grammar bums. I'm just trying to get it to catch on. That's all. Just yeah. Can we call them grammar bums from now on? One word, grammar bum. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you make an error with your grammars. The grammar bum. This week, we're finishing out our album cuts project. Yes. It's uh, sad that it's going to be over after it was an idea in my head for so long. Yeah, and we'll talk at the end about how you feel like it went, but uh, we got uh, ten more songs to get through. Yep. So these are sort of the top five. For drafting purposes, they're the top five, yeah. but they this is not, again, not really reflective. These songs don't compare against each other directly in any meaningful way. It would be very difficult to compare, uh, just to pick a couple on this list that we've already heard, um, Dracula's Wedding and, say... Um, Flying High by Marvin yeah. Gaye. Yeah, it's pretty it's, difficult. Yeah, I mean, I know which one I like better, but am I, <laughs> am I going to come out and say it's a better song? It's tough. It's a tough one. It's an interesting question. Uh, we well, didn't put together a rubric, well, and I we never will. Music uh, is too personal. Just for Shannon and her family's sake, we are comparing uh, these songs only against hypothetical um, <laughs> ideals. <laughs> of what music should be and not the against, ideal not against an any real benchmark cut. yes this is the place we're being compared against a platonic ideal of an <laughs> album track uh i have an idea of what that is but we, we'll get to it at the end all right um i forget who went first last week doesn't matter uh whatever you got uh, so, queued up all right so it turns out that uh, Frank Black actually had two eligible records. Yeah, he had two records with a charting Pixies, single. With a charting single. Yeah. His first record, which was just called uh, Frank Black, and uh, his second record, Teenager of the Year. Yeah. Um, so I had, uh, I had 15 or 16 songs to go through in, uh, in Frank Black, and I was surprised by what I ended up with. I thought it would probably be something off of Teenager of the Year, maybe uh, Speedy Marie or Calistan or uh, Pure Denison of the Citizens Band, but I ended up picking something off of the first record. Hmm. So this is uh, Frank Black's Don't You Rile Em.
feel like um, I feel like that gradually got quieter on our audio for some reason. But um, what I like about uh, Frank Black is that even the ones that kind of sound like feel good, the kind of feel good jams, eventually hit some really weird progression. There's going to be an odd chord progression in yeah. there at some point. Yeah. Sometimes a song will just become an entire second song. That's a very common thing for him, where just like the song changes entirely at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's usually, and you're talking about in this case, the very strange chord progression is the chorus mm-hmm. of the song, uh, where you, you don't expect the second half of the chorus where he sings uh, "Going Asylum," for instance. Yeah. So what I always liked about Frank Black was that it doesn't sound like the Pixies, and that's not because I don't like the Pixies, but I would have felt bad if it was just like him trying to do a lot more Pixies. Yeah, it this is this different. is from his his first post Pixies record, and it doesn't sound even like uh, you know forget uh, sounding like Doolittle or Surfer Rosa. Yeah. It doesn't even sound like the last post Pixies, uh, the last Pixies record, Trompe Le Monde. It's mm-hmm. like it's just a whole different sound. And that was true for the uh, the three records that he made as Frank Black, and then it uh, all changed again when he started recording as Frank Black and the Catholics. Yeah. So he's had a, a lot of different periods. It's it's why I'm so surprised that he wasn't able to like he's he plays in a lot of different styles than he has over the last thirty years now. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's why I was a little bit surprised why he wasn't able to recapture the sound of the Pixies. Like it, it just wasn't familiar. Yeah, you mentioned I that guess, last so. time or the time before, whenever we were. I think last time when we did Gouge Away. Yeah, that's odd that he has not been able to pull that off. But I haven't actually heard the new, the new Pixie stuff. I listen to a couple of songs every time a new something comes out. Like you know, or NPR will stream the whole album or something. I've just never liked anything I heard enough to buy it. Yeah. And that's how I listen to records too. By the way, as I I listen through, and if nothing grabs me, I don't bother giving it another listen. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's like something something on that record has to grab me a little bit if I'm going to go in and put in the work. Well, it's like if you listen to a record long enough, you'll find something to like about it mm-hmm. in most cases. But there's got to be some reason to get you in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was number five, or yeah. whatever. Uh, on my side, uh, we'd already talked about, uh, um, some of the albums that we had some commonalities on, and this was almost one of them, I think. So this is Counting Crows, and it's from August and Everything After. You ended up going, we'll see, later on in the list with a different Counting Crows Yeah, I have a different Counting Crows song coming up. Uh, Um, this, uh, this was my second choice. Yeah. This was the last Counting Crows song to get eliminated for me. To me, August and Everything After is still the best Counting Crows record, and although a number of singles were released from it that disqualified some other picks, I've always liked this one among... uh, It's been among my favorite Counting Crows songs, so it wasn't that hard for me to pick it out off this album. Yeah, I agree. So this is is Anna Begins. Go for it. I am not worried Does not bother me to say this isn't 
This is one of the, hmm, you know what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say? Actually, most of the songs on this album are very atmospheric. Yeah. Um, it's well-engineered. Like, this is their debut record, but it's a major label debut, too. Mm-hmm. And clearly, they worked with good people. There's, especially in that first verse, there's hardly any instrumentation. Yeah. There's uh, the drums, which are playing a very simple pattern. There's uh, bass, which is also not doing anything virtuosic, and then way down in the mix, there's that organ. Yep, the the and that's Counting about Crows it. organ. And right, I, when exactly. I picked it up at like the thirty second mark in that song, you start to get a guitar sting every once in a while. Right, they're starting to put it in. It comes in a little bit later. It gives the second verse somewhere to go because then there's guitar underneath it, but it's still underneath it, right? Yeah. And that's true of a lot of songs, uh, songs that would have been real good choices but were disqualified, like uh, Round Here, for instance. Yeah. is another very atmospheric song, uh, Perfect Blue Buildings. Yeah, I actually consider this song to be the sister song of Ghost Train. It's very similar yes. in that it's got the drum and the bass kind of yes. going, doing its thing, driving the rhythm a little bit, but not much else happening that isn't super atmospheric. Ghost Train... Um, He's doing a little more with his voice. Yeah, he gets in. He breaks it down with his voice, but it's got the same Counting Crows organ eventually. And Right. Um, I was just thinking about this earlier. I don't think I could have been a Counting Crows fan if they had come along when I was 15 or 16 through, like, 24 or 25. It's so unbelievably earnest in its whininess. Yes. He's such a whiner. Yes. And it comes across just, there's no filter. It's 100% whining. And I think it, I would have been like, not cool enough. Right. And this album hit when you were nine. The exactly. You were nine. Yeah. And like and mom remember, liked it and you liked it. And I was just like, yeah, yes. this is good stuff. I was 13. Yeah. I have incredible sense memories. I feel like that summer, the summer of 1994 was very hot. Yeah, that could be. I have these memories of not being able to sleep at night and listening to this record on cassette tape on my Walkman yeah. in headphones. Um, I just and so 
it got into it got to me when I was thirteen, but I think there were definitely periods in my life when it would have been too earnest for me too. Yeah, or it's now because uh, we used I'm to so refer to the to Counting it. Crows as average guy music. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yes, they're the I think they are the high quality average guy music, but right. they are definitely in that genre. They're in there with your wallflowers mm-hmm. and um, maybe like such as a uh, gin blossoms or a, a sure or maybe like a fastball. Yeah, fastball is aggressive. the the um, The way is aggressively average guy music for sure. Mm. Now, one headlight's more, but still, one headlight is definitely the most average of all the average guy music. One headlight may be the er average guy song. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't want to talk about it too long. But I just, I was just thinking about it earlier, and I was like, man, I'm only way into all these songs. I think because I became used to them before I had, before I would have been like, man, fuck this guy. Um, yeah, it's true. This was around the time I started listening to the radio. So this is about the time when I started to pick up music that wasn't coming from mom and dad. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, this next thing I'm going to play is uh, kind of kind of from that era also. Okay. It's from a couple of years later. Yeah. So... Um, Again, my my collection is limited in terms of hit records, mm. um, but one band that had a number of them was Green Day. And I don't listen to Green Day much these days. We yeah. may have... I don't know if we did it on air or if it was one of our sprawling after segments mm. where we just talk to each other and we're actually funny. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, the ones where all the good stuff happens. But we, we may have done a thing where we went through a bunch of early Green Day. This is from a later record, mm. and I was surprised that it just kept not being eliminated. Yeah. So I'm going to play the song Scattered, but before I do, I want to say that if this had been 20 songs instead of 15, uh, and we'd been allowed to have more than one by a band, I think the song 86 would have been another surprise entry here. Oh, interesting. Okay. So uh, this is scattered. I forget which one this is from, Nimrod, Nimrod or something. Yeah. So after they got real big, a uh, couple of records after, in fact, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's got everything I like about, uh, about Green Day, and we can talk about what that is uh, at the end. So a little bit of a shorter clip because it's not a very long song. Yeah. Um, so there, there wouldn't be I've any point in it longer unless you were going to play the bridge for some reason anyway. Right. Yeah. I've always liked, which is the worst part of the song. Mm-hmm. Green Day often messes it up somewhere. Yes. In their songs. Yeah. They're not uh, they, the songwriters they, a lot they of think songs they are. That are great verse, bad chorus, or real mediocre verse, good chorus, or sometimes like in this one, both of those are fine, but the bridge is nothing. Yeah. Yes. In this one. Uh, it's got those, uh, Mike Durnt bass flourishes that I've always loved in Green Day. Mm-hmm. He's a, a pretty talented bass player, I would say. 
or at least he's good at carrying a melody yeah. in a song where there's just one super fuzzed out guitar. Yes, yeah, so this is what I was going to say. What they always do is uh, this song is going to be super simple melodically. Like it's we're just going to play it real easy in terms of the composition here, and then you get a lot of drum fills and bass flourishes. Yep. As like a way to make up for the fact that they didn't do much on the songwriting side. Yep. And then, of course, this is one of the uh, Green Day songs that is mostly harmony. Which they do fine. They, I think they liked the Beatles and they went There's nothing way. surprising about the harmonies that they sing. Yeah. Like, you never hear an odd harmony in there, but they, it's perfectly competent. Yeah. And, the, and the fact- there's so little harmony in the rock music of the 90s and beyond. Yes. That it's, it's always kind of nice when it does happen. That's what that's what I was gonna say. It wasn't that common then, and it sounded like a throwback to, um, you know, the, the Kinks or the Beatles or something that they might have been listening to uh, growing up. Um, so that's from the record that spawned what I call the end of Green Day. Uh, that the song "Good Riddance," the time of your life, time of your life, is yeah, on that. the song that is probably still played at every graduation, <laughs> and that became a weird surprise hit. And then they thought, oh, we're like, we're real songwriters. We're going to write some great emotional work, and then we're going to go into politics, and it's all going to end, and the, uh, that was the end of the Green Day that I enjoyed. I mean, listen, I'm with you on this, uh, and I remember thinking desperately at the time, who wants to hear about politics from Green Day? Yeah. I will say that uh, here at the age of 37, almost 38, I am a little bit ashamed to admit that Green Day got there before me. <laughs> you got there on just on everything or just on in terms of politics they were just ahead of me yeah well well good then so, good for them sorry sorry billy joe armstrong for the things i said when i was in my 20s um, and you were in your late 20s the dude's not that much older than me no the green day i would have picked was going to be burnout from dookie but we'd already picked it for the track ones so i just left them out yeah uh yeah uh they released many singles off of Dookie. Yeah. So a lot a lot of my favorite things from there were already taken and uh Burnout wouldn't have been a would have been a good choice, but it would have it would have been my fifth choice. Like <laughs> and this is how I felt about Anna Begins too, yeah. I think. Is my favorite track that is not well known on that album is Omaha. Yeah. And then A Murder of One. And both of those were released as singles. Yes, so. to our surprise, because they weren't. I don't think they were right. video singles or something. So. Yeah, I think Omaha got radio play. Yeah, uh, I, I think I remember hearing that. Um, your number four is by Kanye West. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's from what I think is his best album, "My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy," and uh, it's got some interesting stuff going on. Uh, it's got like some wailing guitar solo. It's um, it's it's a, he always has a pretty good rhythm, um, pretty good flow, and uh, yeah, we can go ahead and play it. Why you standing there with your face screwed up? Don't leave while you're hot. That's how May screwed up. Throwing shit around, I hope place screwed up. Maybe I should call May so he could pray for us. I hit the Jamaican spot at the bar, take a seat. I ordered your jerk, she said you are what you eat. <laughs> you see, I always loved a sense of humor. But tonight you should have seen how quiet the room was. The Leor Cone, Dior Ohm, that's Dior Ohm, that Dior homie. The crib Scarface, could it be more Tony? You love me for me, could you be more phony? 
Put your hands to the constellation. The way you look should be a sin. You my sensation. Have you said a word? Have you said a word to me this evening? Can't get your tongue. And then eventually Rick Ross comes in and starts rapping. Um, by the way, did you catch uh, him dropping Mace into his lyrics? You, he said, don't leave while you're hot. That's don't how leave Mace while screwed you're hot. up. That, that's how Mace screwed up. And then later you get Mace, Mace to pray for us. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Uh, so that's always uh, a bonus. I also really liked his use of the word Tony in there. Yeah. That didn't come out of a rhyming dictionary. Like, <laughs> no. Very few people would describe something as Tony when they mean putting on airs right yeah it's a very it's a very good use and it allows him to introduce of course uh scarface beloved of all hip-hop artists that's right absolutely uh yeah i've always really enjoyed that track um and it's a really good album too it's got uh, some other pretty interesting works on it he um he's usually three or four years ahead of what the rest of pop music and the rap industry is going to end up doing and usually he puts out an album and everyone goes what the hell is this and then two or three years later everything sounds like it and there was a lot of stuff on the album before this and on this album that people were like i don't know what the hell this is and then two years later they were just it you turn on the radio it's exactly what it sounded like so yeah he's um it's as if living out of time has driven him nearly insane (laughs) yes if you just engage with the music yeah. Then you're getting a glimpse into the future, but he is a full-on crazy because yeah. of it. Marjan and I have a discussion over and over again about whether or not he's playing a character. And she is of the <laughs> opinion that he is playing a character, and it's all art. And I am of the ah. opinion that he's an insano who makes good music. Yeah, and I think there's room for that idea. Yeah, Which is, that's more where I come down, by the way. That he's a weirdo who makes good music? <laughs> that he's a weirdo who makes good music. Yeah. It happens. I think that's what's happening. She thinks he's, um, she always compares him to, uh, oh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, the Weird Artist. Um, from the, he paints the Campbell soup cans. What's wrong with my brain right now? Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. <sighs> um, the Weird Artist. Yeah, thank you. She, um, she always compares him to Andy Warhol when she makes this argument, because she always says that Andy Warhol was just playing a character, but I've seen enough Andy Warhol for me to think that he was just an insano as well. It seems like... The uh, comparison is to shit. No, oh, now it's not happening to Jim, you. Jim Carrey played him in Man on the Moon. Oh yeah, um, 
Andy Kaufman? Yeah, Kaufman, yeah. Because he was definitely playing a character, right? Yes, he was playing many characters. Yeah. Especially when he was brawling with Jerry Jerry the King Lawler. Um, I don't think I'd heard that song before. Which well, is the mark of an album cut. Yeah, there you I go. That album. <laughs> yeah, it was not a single, so... Yeah, if you didn't hear the hear the record, you probably didn't catch that one on the radio or whatever. This next one we probably have played before. I think it was in my track ones. I don't know if it was on the final list or one of the also rans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already talked about the Counting Crows a lot, so let me just play a little bit of the song Catapult from their second album, uh, Recovering the Satellites. Good job playing that right from the jump, too, because one of the things that made it such an attractive track one was just the way that's the way to start a record. Yes, with that odd calliope or or whatever at the beginning, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, which doesn't sound like uh, this record didn't sound like August and Everything After. It's a good record in its own right, and it spawned a few hits. Um, Yeah, not as good a record. Unfortunately, the one people remember is The Long December. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> not as good an album, but had a lot of good stuff on it. And that's um, most people only have one good album in them, if that. So that's yeah. always good. But yeah, a great way to start a record. I like that it's not even like mid tempo. That's a pretty slow. It is pretty slow, which yeah. is fair for Counting Crows. Yeah. It's not like when you Rolling Stones do a slow song and you're like, well, this isn't what we like. Because remember, the first hit off of that, wasn't it Angels of the Silences? Yeah, which is much more up-tempo. Yeah. So, good. Which also starts okay. It's got a good start for being the second song on the record. Uh, the other song I liked from this album, but uh, ultimately was beat out, was uh, Good Night, Elizabeth. Which is another slow one. We couldn't all be cowboys! That one? That's the one. <laughs> Some of us are clowns. clowns. <laughs> he does gonna sound like Kermit there, doesn't he? <laughs> Some of us are clowns. Clowns. <laughs> yeah, if you actually, if you just made Kermit do uh, a cover of that, I think it would work just as well as the original. Yeah. Does Miss Piggy have a first name? Could it be Elizabeth? Uh, why not? Why not Elizabeth, Elizabeth Piggy? Piggy? Um, good choice. What's what's your number three? It is off of the album, the soundtrack album, Purple Rain. Uh, and it is The Beautiful Ones. I believe we played it once during our uh, exploration of parts of a song where somebody um, speaks in the middle of it. Ah, yes. And I believe we gave somebody credit last week or the week before for NERD, but you have to put Prince in there, too. Oh, it, might have been Stevie uh, Wonder. it was Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah, I think Prince has to get in there, too, because so many things about that track and some of the other ones on Purple Rain are so NERD. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Katie made that point when she was listening to an early version of my album cuts list that had uh, Heaven is 10 Zillion Light Years Away on it. Yeah. Which is a great song, by the way. It just, uh, I had to have love having you around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, uh, 
I enjoy the weirdness of the instrumentation. His performance mm-hmm. is obviously uh well he's doing his thing. He's doing his he's prince really, thing. He really works the pitch wheel on that synthesizer <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to drop in and out of key to make you upset. That's right. Uh yeah. You I have to I've, put pizza crusts up your butt so that your mom has to take you to the hospital. It's my second favorite thing about um about Purple Rain. Um, the first one being when I discovered that if you just imagine that all of the writers of the film, characters in the film, and stars of the film are 12 years old, it's a really good movie. Ah! So kind of like how Pacific Rim is maybe the best movie an 11-year-old could write. That's right, exactly. So that now if I the, ever if it ever happens that I watch Purple Rain again, I'll have to bear that in mind. Really, everybody I mean, who wrote it and who is in it is twelve. They seem unfamiliar. All of the characters and even the writing of the movie itself, it seems unfamiliar with any of the things that you would know if you'd lived to be at least sixteen years old. <laughs> if you if you're sixteen, you're way too old for this film. You're watching it going, "What the fuck's going on?" Um, but I guess on to number twos now. We're on to the number twos. Yeah, um, there's going to be a little bit of a change of tone. Um, You, in your honorable mentions, had When Will They Shoot by Ice Cube. Yes. I teased that there was another Ice Cube song from the same record in the draft order. So this is my pick from uh, The Predator. It is... Now I Gotta Wet Ya. Yeah. This, um... This song is dripping with malice. <laughs> like all good Ice Cube songs. Like all good Ice Cube songs. Um, but what I want you to, uh, what I want everyone to do listening is to listen to the very silly things he says in this in this song. Mm-hmm. And notice how it still sounds threatening. <laughs> anyone ever said it's curtains bitch it's curtains <laughs> it's curtains <laughs> it's curtains for you in this song in which it seems to be initially directed at one individual who he's going to kill i do want to make it clear that in the later verse of this song he threatens to kill everybody in the rodney king um, jury <laughs> yes. and whoever loves them that's right that's my favorite part and whoever love them um, in this song in which he is 
going to do many murders. Yep. He says, boom, ping, buck, pow. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. a little bit of onomatopoeia, never hurt anybody. He says he's going to Curtis blow your ass away. <laughs> I'm more and more certain it's time to bring on the hurting. Bitch, it's curtains. Bitch, it's curtains. I love it. Um, It does not in any way diminish the anger in his voice to say those very silly things. I don't think anyone else could carry that off. I think you're right. I imagine his uh, his his face all uh, all scrunched up, just real mad, and saying that he's going to Curtis blow somebody's ass away. Yeah, this is why I will definitely occasionally go and see a movie where Kevin Hart wants to date his sister. And you're like, because this movie's not going to be art, but I will watch Ice Cube make mad faces at Kevin Hart. Yes. Yeah, it's it's still weird to think back on. To think about what happened to his career? Yeah, how he used to just be Think about how angry this record is. angry, angry, angry person and how mad he was at everybody. And then just how good Hollywood has been to him ever since. (laughs) Yep. How many movies has he been in now? Like 50? I mean, like he's... A lot. Yeah, he's in it. Bitch, it's curtains. <laughs> so great, great album. Uh, we already talked about it last time. It's got uh, when will they shoot? And uh, it was a good day, and uh, yeah. maybe some others, but uh, really, really good stuff. Uh, What's number two for you? For my number two, it's uh, from Frank Ocean's Channel Orange uh, from a few years back. The song is "Bad Religion." Uh, it was not uh, the single from the record. I think um, Crazy Rich Kids and uh, maybe another one made it as the single, but um, but yeah, this is um, this is another one where I think of the people that came before that made songs like this possible. To me, this sounds like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye, um, with a more modern vocal approach. If it brings me to my knees, it's a bad religion. Oh, love. To me, it's nothing but a one man cult. In cyanide, my styrofoam cup. I can never make them love me. So this one initially got some publicity, even though it wasn't a single because of the lyrical content, because he's singing about a guy. And so right. everyone was like freaking out about how he was the first gay urban star or something. Right. Um, again, this is not that old a record. No, this is from 2012. Um, and even in my more crass days, I remember trying to get my coworkers to get into it by saying, yeah, this guy loves cock, but this is a great record. <laughs> so, you know, I was part of it. Um, but uh, the song, by the way, I said before, it's not Crazy Rich Kids. I think it's because I saw Crazy Rich Asians. It's Super Rich Kids. 
Uh, Pyramids was another single from it. But my second favorite song on the record also wasn't a single. Uh, my second favorite song on the record is uh, Pink Matter with Andre 3000, which is a really, really good track, too. And I had trouble choosing between those two. But something about that, it's like a weird, messed up gospel song with some weird flourishes and weird progressions. And um, I've always really liked that song. Yeah. At, um, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like a later period, Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was good. I'm trying to figure out now if the band Bad Religion ever had a hit. Uh, well, they had stuff on the radio. I don't know if it ever charted. Yeah. <laughs> just it made you think about bad yeah religion. it just made me think like if i owned a bad religion album well but i wouldn't know what the album cuts are anyway so yeah. i guess it doesn't matter um so he released another record in 2016 and i kind of did the cursory listen and nothing really jumped out so this might have been a a flash in the pan situation which i was surprised about because so much of the record is really really good i would highly recommend channel orange to anybody yeah, I remember when this one came out, you recommended it to me, and I did one of those uh, YouTube listens. Yeah. Um, we had Cake on your side of the countdown at uh, in at number 10 with It's Coming Down. Yo. Uh, I knew that we... I thought it was highly likely that we'd each have a Cake song, so that's why I drafted number one. Uh, yeah. And I figured I'd let you draft Stevie Wonder number one. Which I did. We'll find out whether you did or not. Spoiler alert. Um, I picked a song from a later record. It's interesting because uh, although it's a little inconsistent, my favorite cake record is probably Motorcade of Generosity, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have a hit. Yeah. Didn't even have a single. Disqualified. You can't use Jolene or... Right, Fucking. and I really want Jolene. <laughs> yeah, or uh, or any of the other ones on there. You can't even use uh, I Bomb Korea. Right, if you want which to. I do like. So this is uh, Commissioning a Symphony in C by Cake. Completely filling the palace concert hall It's warm and golden like an oven that's wide open It has a melody both happy and sad one of the rare cake songs without the mariachi horns and yep, no mariachi horns no farty sounding guitar it's uh, not a typical cake song but i've always liked that one and what what still manages to make it sound like cake is the synths the the synthesizer 
still makes it sound like it's cake, even though it doesn't have some of the other standards. Yeah, you don't think about it, and the synth is not super prominent on early cake records, mm-hmm. but, you know, if you think about songs like Cool Blue Reason, mm-hmm. or... Which I do. There's a lot. There's a, which is a lot. A very good song. There's a lot of cake that uh, leans on that organ, which is doing some, uh, I would say, Castlevania work yes, in that song. Is, and I enjoy it so much. Which I really like. Look, I remember when we were enough into cake and that the world was different enough that we still waited for albums to come out. I remember you spending however much time it took to download a partial MP3. Oh, yeah, like a 30-second clip, which yeah. is probably pretty similar to that clip I just played, maybe a little shorter. Yeah, of that song. This is bef- this is like a month or two before the record actually came out, and we were fucking pumped. <laughs> we yeah. heard that, and we went, oh, yes, please, I would like to hear a Cake record. Um, by the way, it's a good record. Yeah. Um, I forget what... Uh, what other what the singles were from that was record? That never just, there was that the one. Let me was... just take a peek at it. It was probably never there, right? It was probably the lead single off that. Uh, yeah. Let me go. You turn the screws, and sheep go to heaven. Yeah. Never there is another um, one of those where they release the single, and you go, "This isn't a lot like other cake songs." It has the mariachi horns, but it's it's different. Oh, never there. Yeah, yeah. It is different. Uh, it's got some, uh, like, spaghetti western-sounding guitars in it and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but there's good stuff on on, uh, on that record. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Commissioning a Symphony in C, and um, those are my songs. We've got one more left for you. Yeah. Um, so, we actually, we didn't, I think this is the first one where we had, okay, so, so Ice Cubes was the one where we had two songs from the same album. Not yes. just by the same artist, and this is another one because you picked the first song uh, from Stevie Wonder's "Music of My Mind" for your number nine pick, which was "Love Having You Round," mm-hmm. and I picked the last song on the record, uh, which is "Evil," which I think is Stevie Wonder's best vocal performance and a perfect way to end my, my favorite record in my collection. And I think I I mentioned to you off. I don't know if we talked about it on the show. I'm watching the show Atlanta, and we're all caught up, and there was one particularly impressive episode that also had this record as a lot of the soundtrack and it had like um uh, sweet little girl and it had evil and it had other ones uh in it and uh, i was just like man it's about time somebody else recognized the genius of this record yeah this is my favorite stevie wonder record and there are a lot of good ones to choose from and arguably songs in the key of life is mm-hmm. has had more of an impact yeah he won three grammys for album of the year in a row with inner visions fulfilling his first finale and then songs in the key of life but right. in terms of what people remember i think you're right that songs in the key of life has the ones that stuck around and became standards yeah, it has the ones that were sampled by and large or at least the ones where the samples blew up right? a lot of rap samples from that record like so, uh i wish you know, i wish and right. uh, not skilo's super good song i wish no. but will smith's mediocre song i wish well stevie wonder song i wish which became oh, wild, wild, wild west mediocre Sorry. wild wild west and then all obviously gangsta's paradise came from pastime paradise and yeah um but uh so this is evil and uh, we can go ahead and, and play it Emotions lost and wandering, free. Yeah, yeah. 
And there you have it. That's the list. So we played the uh, first song on that record and the last song on that record, and almost every other song was released as a single. <laughs> uh, Stevie Stevie Wonder, uh, well, that's not true. Actually, only Superwoman and uh, Keep On Running were singles from that record. Yeah, I had a hard time picking. Like, seriously, like a really hard time deciding what to pick from Stevie Wonder. But um... So we were super pumped when we did the track ones because we got good playlists out of that. Um, and we jumped into this. Well, we held off on this because we knew it would be a lot more research. It would be a lot of front end research for who knew about the payoff, I guess. Yeah. And for me, there were definitely some surprises. Like I said, I was very surprised to have a green day song Mm -hmm. in my final 10. Um, I think it was never going to be as strong as the track ones for the simple reason that every album has a track one. Yes. Every album is eligible to participate. And this was a very, very limited field, particularly for someone like me who really only bought music that had hits during the period from 1994 to maybe 2000. Yeah. But, um, uh, there's good stuff there, and it's uh, it's fun to put together the speculative list and revisit some old records, and uh, you know, like I had uh four tonic songs on the initial list <laughs> just because tonic had a couple of hits, and I had both of those records. Uh, uh none of them made it through. Yeah. And I'm fine with that decision, but it's like, oh, I do remember listening to this song, you know, uh, long ago. Yeah, so I, you know, you're right. The, this didn't come out to be as strong a list as the track ones, but, um, you know, that the point of it wasn't necessarily to come up with as good a list. It was just to do something a little bit different. And I actually liked it because it allowed me to spotlight albums that I really like that people should check out. So it's yeah. like... All these that I picked, I also really like the album. 
there isn't I don't have a song on here where I just have the song on there and the rest of the album I don't really care about. Everything that was even in my in my honorable mentions, I really like the albums as well. So Yeah, there's there's a couple. I put Did You Miss Me on there. You can go ahead and skip that PD Pablo How record. Dare you. It's messed up. He put a lot of work and into the, that. And I think there are some where if I if I was more interested in the strength of the album, I would have found a song to put on there like uh, oh, I mentioned Skilo. You gotta get that Skilo record. Please get you it. You gotta listen to I Wish. Yeah. But unfortunately, he released the best songs as singles. Yeah, Top of the Stairs and... Yeah. Um... Oh, what's I'm not gonna one? put that song on there where he uh, lists the Mac- where he does the McDonald's menu, you know? Like, <laughs> That's not the one, yeah. I had Crenshaw. Crenshaw on Sunday night was gonna be... was, was yeah. the one that made it from there. It just didn't make it all the way through. Yeah. Uh, Superman was the other one I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Superman was a single. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you're right. The best three, the stairs, for yeah. sure, on that record were released as singles, which eliminated yeah. it. Um, but anyway, uh, another project in the books. Um, there's still time, everybody, if you want to tell us about some of your favorite album cuts. And uh, I assume we'll have more music projects in the future, who knows when, but next yeah, week... I have two in mind. Um, okay. They're both in the... Well, one... Uh, one I have proposed, we just have to decide to do it. It's not that hard. The other one I'm in the research uh, phases for. So I still intend to make you do a Mountain Goats bracket. I'm in. I'll do it. Um, there are presently 28 Mountain Goats records God, in my collection, so and I'm working my way through. So I'll have a list. I'll probably just have to send you the MP3s on a thumb drive or something. There's no way to... Uh, uh, to get that many, and I wouldn't make you buy twenty separate albums to get the songs. <laughs> that that's insane. All right. Um, but so a, a couple of them. Uh, we've talked about doing uh, Midnight Oil track versus track. Oh, so boy. all of the track ones against each other, all of the track twos against each other, etc. That really is just for you. That's and me. a long project that no one will care about except you and me. But I don't know. Yeah. We could get maybe we could convert be, some people. It'd be fucking fun as hell, though. It would be a super great time, and this podcast is mostly for us. Oh, it's entirely for us. Again, if anyone else wants to listen, feel free, but it's just for me and and my brother. Yes, it's entirely for us, which is why we're back on the clock for the project (laughs) that drives us crazy. (laughs) I'm going to jump in. I swear to God, I'm going to like, I'm going to knock out a few before the weekend. I'm going to get this thing going. That's uh, that's amazing, and then next week you won't remember them, and you'll just be reading the Wikipedias. (laughs) That's right. Um... Next we week is week 43 of our Star Trek project. Wow. Uh, which, again, puts us... That's just about a quarter of the way through. Yeah, very close. So, if you want to play along, you should watch Wolf in the Fold. Yeah, watch that one. Up the Long Ladder. Please watch that one, though. If you don't watch any of the others, watch that one. The Collaborator. Okay. Flashback. Mm-hmm. And The Crossing. All right. I don't remember most of those, but... Um, oh, God, I remember Flashback. It's two fork. Two fork on the Excelsior. Um, oh. All right. So that's going to be bad. Um, send us more mail. Keep filling up the mailbox. Uh, that's at BrotherDate on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at uh, BrotherDate.com. You can find us on the iTunes. It's been a while since we did a search to see how hard it is to find us on there, but I, I bet we're on there. And, uh, and then, yeah, just um, hate mail is always good. So send us some hate mail. That's always good stuff. Yeah, we'll read it all. All right, everybody. So long. 
It's curtains. Uh, on September 9th, Shannon writes, in episode 8, you try to remember if Vermont is the one that's bigger on the top. I don't remember who tried to remember that. Sounds like me. 